Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. When he was a kid, he would quote lines from his favorite TV shows when he didn't know what to say. Now, we quote him. Welcome, Craig Bierko. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Craig Bierko, star of Stage and Screen. And Craig has been acting since the late 1980s, but his first series regular role came in 1990 when he was cast opposite Valerie Bertinelli and Matthew Perry in the CBS sitcom Sydney. He went on to make appearances on Amen, The Powers That Be, Mad Men of the People, Wings and Ally McBeal, Sex and the City, Boston Legal, Unhitched, Law and Order SVU, Damages, and since 2014, he has been on the critically acclaimed Lifetime series Unreal as Chet, the sexy and arrogant creator of a reality dating show. He has appeared in many films, but some standouts are The Long Kiss Goodnight, Scary Movie 4, The 13th Floor, Sour Grapes, and Cinderella Man. On Broadway, he starred as Howard Hill in The Music Man, for which he was nominated for the Tony Award, Drama Desk Award, Outer Critics Circle Award, and the Drama League Award. He was the winner of the Theater World Award that same year. He also starred as Sky Masterson in the Broadway revival of Guys and Dolls. He performed the role of Peter in the 2011 New York Philharmonic production of Stephen Sondheim's Company with Neil Patrick Harris, Patti Lapone, and Stephen Colbert. He is devoted to raising funds and awareness for the Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. He has a beloved dog named Boo, with whom he is often photographed, and together they create hilarious web content. So without further ado, welcome really master of ceremonies, Craig Bierko. <laughs> Thank you. Please sit down. I will. I, in fact, everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. That's enough. Thank you. 
How does it feel hearing all those amazing things, which is just like scratches the surface of your I just like your, your new NPR voice. It's completely fake. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Terry Gross teaches? There's an app that you can download and you can just listen to her tutorial. Of, no. Yeah, there's absolutely. There's not app, no, I'm very gullible. You don't believe me? <laughs> Look at me. Would I lie to you? Yeah. A little bit. Anyway, so... Can I stop? I... <laughs> stop looking at you for a second. That just was for weird. one second. Okay. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. It's a podcast. long time coming. We've been working on this like it's actually important to you, and it's, it's not. How come you are one of the funniest people on the planet? Okay. And truly, from the moment I met you, and I have thought about it, I met you because... Beth Barrage yes. was living in Helen Hunt's house. That's right. And when Beth moved out, I moved into her room. And yes. at the time, you were Betty Barrage's. You I was were her, her beau. beau. And she used to wake up in the morning and she. And now, this is a very funny human being. I remember Beth used to. Uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen her. She's happily married now to a terrific actor. What's yes, his name? Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. Really, really great. I can only imagine how much they laugh at mm, each other. I don't think. And how much only they get it. No one laughs in marriage. <laughs> oh, oh, that's true. Okay. It's fun. Like, yes, until the day they well, get that, married. Maybe that's my secret, yes. is that I keep seeming to... Not get married. I seem not to get married. Beth Barrage, now she used to room with Helen Hunt, mm-hmm. and I would wake up with... Who, who would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and steam broccoli for herself right. for like a pre-breakfast. Right. I don't know what she was... But it, but it was just a unique, totally unique yes. creature. Yes, yes. And, and, and truly, truly funny. And one of the great admirable qualities of anybody is she could just... You make fun of her and she will laugh at herself. Love like it. Like painfully laugh yes. at herself. But I used to wake up at like... Nine and sit there and and have coffee with Helen and then I would talk to Helen and we would laugh about Beth about right. living with Beth which is yes. a, you know she's a, she was from another planet but never making fun of but making fun with but we would laugh and then Beth quite seriously and not out of jealousy also said you should date Helen which is a great thing to hear from somebody that you're dating sure is that they're pimping for you I don't think there was ever a moment ever when we were dating where we thought this will lead to something uh, other than children, you know, wandering through traffic because neither of us could pay attention to any. I mean, we were, you know, which is a quality that I I really just loved in her. But I don't think either of us at that point were like, you know, it would be good. We could have children who could help us find our car. That would be great. (laughs) And also (laughs) who could steam broccoli for us. So you grew up in Westchester. Yes. You were a child actor? No. I don't know exactly when that happened. I always had an inclination. I definitely uh, always watched television and thought that seems better than how boring and dangerous, it seems, out here. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I talk danger, I'm talking about the mean streets of Westchester, Rybrook, New York, lawns. Gangland. Yeah, just gangland. Gangland ride. Yeah, yeah, a gang shouldn't hang out in parkas. No. Ski parkas. Really nice Patagonia. Yeah, we get back from Butternut. <laughs> We're going to totally kick your kick ass, ass. Assuming they're back from Vale. Yes. Yeah, it was not a tough group of people, but right. it was... It was a really cool uh, place that um, it turns out uh, we couldn't afford. And I really didn't find that out. Uh, you know, your job is, as a kid is to be narcissistic and self-involved and uh, not even in an inappropriate way. You're just not, you know, you're not 
concerning yourself. You're not going to all the board meetings about, you know, family finances and stuff. You're right. letting the parents deal about right. that. Well, my parents got divorced when I was 10. My dad left. And so my mom was running the ship and they were very good in terms of, listen, this isn't you or your brother's fault. This is between mommy and daddy. Mm. And, uh, and Did you th- believe them? Absolutely. Which That's is good. Which was a great, which has a lot to do with mental health, by the way, because I see parents who don't do that. Right. And the kids carry the weight of, what are, Wow. What what it, like that all of a sudden they assume that th- must I'm, be awful. Yeah, well, I, I came and everything went south. Yeah. No, it was nothing like that. And I never had any doubts. I just lost my dad, rest his soul. But he, but you know, we weren't very close, my dad and I. You know, he, he kind of moved away. He moved to Texas for some reason. But there was never any doubt that my parents like loved me. So that right. was good and really good for an actor. There was never there was never a time where I felt like I was working any of that crap out mm-hmm. as, as an actor. Mm-hmm. But while I was in Westchester, they ran the local community theater. Or they my, meaning both your well, parents. Well, my mom always reminds me, no, I was running it and your father would, you know – look very presidential, but I was running it. Okay. And that is that is actually true. So it could continue when he moved to Texas. Yes. When, well, she did for a little while, but then that's when it all sort of, they were about to do detective story and the detective left. Well, that's They were good. detectiveless. We've lost our leading man. They lost their leading man. And my Craig, dad was. Craig, a, can you, can you yeah, put on that 10-year-old Craig. Come on, mm, darling. No. I'm not out of my Partridge family stage yet. So yeah. that didn't, that was not your debut. That wasn't my debut. My whole frame of reference at that point was was pretty much television. I right. really was lean. I was telling a friend the other day. I uh, hope you'll think of me as a friend. Yeah, but I'll tell another friend right now. This will be the first thing I tell you as a friend, Perfect. not just an associate. No, I like it. I like it. <laughs> a lot of things that I truly believe, like honestly believe, no, all joking aside, and a couple of important moments, I don't know what I would have done without television to have helped me to have helped me figure out what to say or even what to to validate what I was feeling. I'll give you an example. When my parents told me that they were getting divorced, my dad had just come home from a business trip and he looked worried. He had that I'm about to leave the family look on his face. Right. <laughs> so he went up to the, he went up to the kitchen and I heard him talk. They were talking to my older brother in hushed tones. And I was watching something on television. Recently, on the television, I had seen Love of This is how long ago it was, Love American Style. Love it. And there was an episode where Ozzie Nelson, Ozzie and Harriet got a divorce, which was, I guess, like a early 70s edgy thing. Right. And they didn't have the two boys, they just had a daughter. So I don't remember who the actress was, but I remember she was on a staircase and Ozzie says, uh, your mother, uh, we're gonna, uh, we have to, and then uh, Harriet steps forward and goes, we're gonna get a divorce. The girl goes, but you can't. You're my parents. And I thought, somewhere that lodged in. And so when they brought me upstairs and said, we've just told your brother, your father and I are going to get a divorce. I automatically said, but you can't. You're my parents. Not even a good reading. Try it one I, more time. I, that's what they said. <laughs> Have a little more fun with it. Listen, listen. We didn't. Throw it away. <laughs> that's what we're doing. <laughs> Throw it away. Trust us. Uh, it, it was that's pretty wild, it, and though. there were a couple of other moments. And I stand by. Wait, these what things. else? Do you remember another one? Obviously, well, that's a seminal. Well, that was that was yeah, that was like a. I was t- I was nine or ten, I think, at that moment, which is a little young to be watching Love American Style. That was racy. Oh man, well, that the really you know you. It's told it you what to say and do another. There wasn't much of a choice. Remember, we only had the one channel, right? <laughs> well, we we just had two sticks that we would That's right. scrape together, and then well, you would talk turn to kids it. these days, and they're yes. like, "What do you mean you couldn't watch on your calculator? Right? You had to wait." The other thing, and this is true, 
this is true. This led to a lot of great things in my life. There was a moment in MASH. MASH was another thing I used to watch every every night when right. it was on. Uh, when it was on weekly, but also when it was on – they would run it every night. If you were asking, like, where does your sense of humor come? I can yeah. literally say there are people in there – and it's not so surprising. But if it wasn't for Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, I don't know that the white American male above 35 or 40 would have the – have across the board the same exact personality that he does. now. I think they literally influenced – the white that point of view is that huh. sexist? Because I think it was. I mean, I'm talking well, about men. <laughs> it's more racist. Oh, because you yeah. call them white. Sure, sure. Do you still watch television? Not as no, no. I really don't no, watch you're very much television. On television. Yes, as a matter of fact, I turn the television on once a week because we're supposed to live tweet the show. Yeah, and I have yet, and now we're we're almost two seasons in. I have yet to get the television on in time. I'm always 10 minutes late because I'm like, I've got 37 remotes. It's very confusing. I can't do it. I can't do it. So you, of everyone I knew when I was living in L.A., you hit the ground running. And it seemed to me that you started to get a tremendous amount of work in television, like series to series to series. Yeah. I left Northwestern, and they were very good about it. I went up to my acting teacher before I left, this guy Bud Byer, terrific acting teacher, and I said... I don't know. I don't feel ready. Yeah. He goes, here's the joke. It's not, it's, it's a young person's business. It's not a young person's profession. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. There was some, dis- he said, he said, who's your favorite actor? I go, I like that Gene Hackman. He goes, mm. how old is he? You know? And yeah. I, and I, and I, and I, there were other people I cited, but you know, you, my favorites were always like the journeyman guys like the, you know, Gene Hackman, Charles Durning. You know, the guys who would always turn, were doing yeah. something fast. I mean, yeah. I loved guys like, uh, I loved uh, Sean Connery's James Bond. And, right. Uh, and I recognized, oh, Harrison Ford is actually, he actually played, like you actually think he's in danger. That's he's very right. good at it. That's right. I recognized all that stuff. But the actors who I consistently loved were, and a lot of the character actors in terms of comedy, you know, the guys who you don't see anymore, like like Don Knotts and Paul yeah. Lynn, the guys who would yeah. do one thing. Richard Kind is the last of them. Right. Of someone who does something so specific that if anyone else does it, it's an imitation. That's right. right? He can't imitate himself well, which is a, which is fascinating. But you can. You yes, do I can one- do Richard Kind. I'm doing a nanny. I saw the show last night. You were terrible. I say this because I've seen you be great. Do you know uh, what I, I love I, so much about him? What? Richard Kind will see every play. He is loves the business and he means theater. everything he says 100 yeah. percent when yeah. he says it. And he will always tell you the truth. If you if you're gonna if you're gonna ask some certain people questions, then don't ask. But he'll tell people. you. Yeah. When you first got to LA, who was your brat pack, as it were? Who well, was when the I first crew got there, met? my entire uh, world was the guy whose couch I was staying on, which was Eric Gilliland. Garrett Gilliland is a very successful writer. He's from Roseanne, he's from Northwestern. Among other yes, things. he ran Roseanne. He ran a show called Nurses. Um, who's the boss? Who is the boss? Who is the boss? Who yes. is the boss? Yes. And can um, I tell you a quick Who's the Boss? Tony Danza story. Sure. Just two seconds. Where am I going to go? Um, I went to see Iceman Cometh. 
Kevin Spacey was starring in the play, yeah. and Tony Danza was making his Broadway debut. Oh, as the bartender. As the bartender. And for those of you who don't know the play well, uh, it begins uh, very quietly with the regulars at a bar already seated on stage, certainly in the production I saw, and the bartender setting up, and it's very quiet in the theater, and it's compelling just to see people behaving. Has the play started? Has it not started yet? And it takes a moment for people to realize that Tony Danza is the bartender. And suddenly, you can feel a little electricity in the theater because Who's the Boss is huge. Yeah. Hugest sitcom ever. One of them. And all of a sudden, the guy next to me just can't handle it any longer. And I feel it, and I feel it coming, and he just yells out, Who's the boss, Tony? Who's the boss? And uh, the theater erupts in laughter. Mm. And it's Iceman Cometh, and then ke- enter Kevin Spacey. He has to do that. He's the boss. He's he told him. <laughs> no, by the way, that was kind of the best part of the play. <laughs> 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 and as soon as Kevin came on stage and starts acting, the gentleman to my right was asleep within 22 <laughs> seconds. Who is the boss? So you're sleeping on Eric's couch. That's enough Lorimer. about Eric. What does he have to do with any Who of this else? shit? Hank Azari and Richard Kind and all these people. All these people, right. yes, yes. And Matthew, Matthew Perry. Perry. Well, Matthew Perry was – when I saw Matthew Perry on the first – the first thing I ever did was – I was about, about to go to San Francisco. I had been cast in the touring production of Les Mis. I was going to play Angerat. Oh, I'm and, sorry. And uh, Angerat. Okay. And I was going to – and I didn't realize at that point that it was like, don't worry about any interpretation. We're going to tell you exactly what to do, which Great. is what happens when you take over a part. Your replacement. I, I, I've never done that. I'd never done that, and was and didn't do it that because I auditioned for and got this part in Sydney, which was going to be Valerie Bertinelli's return to situation comedy, and she championed me for the part. I know that I I did well in the audition, but I know that she put in like an extra because we really connected. And so I've you always read with given her, her and yes, she liked you. I think I'm 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 almost certain. She was the one who pushed it over the edge because mm-hmm. I was new. Nobody knew who the hell I was. And, and uh, I was also – I was like, I'm going to go. If I don't get this, there, there's something about walking into an audition and totally. having something, you know, even in the bag. Just, it's like I'm going to have more than th- – I'll tell you what I will have is more than $3 in the bank, you know. So I, I walked in there with the sense of empowerment and, and not caring. And for some reason, it, it worked. It was a great lesson. And, uh, and, and um, so I – I the first person I met when I walked into the studio for the first days of work was Matthew Perry. He had just finished a show called Boys Will Be Boys on the Upstart Fox Network. That was that that was like when Fox was literally like new. Yeah. And they were like fourth a fourth network? <laughs> Cars are driving off the freeway, a fourth network. That seems crazy. Yeah, this is what kind of changes this is the this whole is media. This is like sound holds. or television came <laughs> in. This is bizarre. Wait a couple of years from now, we're gonna be watching our telephones. Yeah, unbelievable. No, like that'll ever happen. <laughs> I know. Crazy talk. <laughs> uh so you meet Matthew I Perry. I meet Matthew Perry and he oh, I don't remember what he said. I remember the first laugh I ever got from him, which was important because I had already understood the fact. This is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. I'm 25. Hopefully it gets better. I knew when I met Matt, I was like, uh, Matt, when I met Matt, I was meeting somebody who was, who had their own thing. It was like, sort of like Richard Kind, where you're like, this person's doing their own yeah. thing. I can't yeah. quite put my finger on right. it either. But I can imitate it. Everybody right. Right. falls whole... into, well, with Matthew, it's different because uh, you, you can imitate Richard Kind. 
But you can't go on camera and do it because you'll just look like you have a disease. Yeah. So only Richard Kind yeah. can be Richard Kind. Yeah. But um, it's impossible, I found, that there was a gravity to what Matt was doing because so much of it was right, but it was completely original. He used to do things – it's you know it's hard to appreciate at the time, but he did, I remember he did one thing. It was the first time I ever saw him do what he was doing in real life, which made me laugh, and have the guts to do it on the show, which is somebody slaps him and he – points to where they where he was hit and without emotion goes out and i was like oh my god that's funny yeah. I, and i'd never seen it before and he just right. pointed to it and he went ow i of course adopted it and put it in my little bag of you know because it's fantastic yeah it was fantastic and and um and i and i remember watching uh i remember watching friends and going within within three years everybody's going to be doing their version of ow and it is every there's this gravity and i i would hang out yeah, there was a whole group of us who would hang out with Matthew and in some form or another. I mean, everybody had a comic idea of their own and we would all adopt stuff from each other. But I would say, by and large, Matthew's timing, I just thought, I, it's a matter of time. He's going to get on something big and it's going to be like a fire. And you can actually walk around and see people doing the whole thing. I'm convinced that when people do this whole sort of, oh, my God. That's Matthew. That's unbelievable. That there's that, that he actually affected right. timing. I just want to ask you, and I don't know if it's something you talk about or not talk about. Is it mythology or is it true that you turned down Friends? Oh the no, show that's Friends. A, I never auditioned for that. You did not audition of for the I show. Did. No, I did it. I just it was is good, true. Really difficult. Yeah, I never talked about it because, first of all, I never think it's. Like when – what were they talking? I think they were talking to Pacino the other night. And it was yeah. a list some things that you've turned down. And he listed some parts and I was like, oh, I, I only think of this person doing that part. And I've said this before. I had a deal with NBC. How amazing that you had a holding deal as a young person yes. at NBC. Yes. Amazing. And wise enough to have gratitude. But I didn't understand what it really was, which is – and I found out by the end of – I think I've done it a few times. And the first time I did it, they did a show called uh, – I chose a show called Red Dwarf. And I saw the I saw the British version of it, which is genuinely brilliant. And this was before America had started successfully importing Adapting. British yeah. shows like The Office and stuff. In fact, I was the one who th thought they shouldn't bring The Office over here. They're going to Red Dwarf it. You know, they put a perfectly good American writer, Linwood Boomer – on it, but it, he wasn't British. It was a really crazy, like, space opera thing, and it just fell flat. And then they brought the British guys over you for did Red it. Dwarf. I so did you it. did this pilot. This was the first time I did a holding deal. And then I learned, oh, the way you know this isn't going well is everybody stops coming around. Everybody mm -hmm. from the network just stops coming around, and you're, quiet. you realize, yeah. oh, it's like we're making a student film yeah. here, because nobody cared. And we did a few versions of it, and it just didn't work, which is a tragedy, because it's such a smart, funny, brilliant thing. Uh, but it's we, not we too late. Ready. We can bring it back now. There was – I was bugging these guys forever. Please make a film. But you know what? I was miscast in it. They did it a typically American thing where they put a leading man guy. It should have been played by like a John Belushi. Or Paul should, Giamatti. Yeah, but they're like put, a, like, yeah, like put a guy in with it. It's like it's, it's – it, they made a lot of missteps. But – uh, anyway, I did that, and so I, I didn't really have a sense of, of like, take this because this is the thing that t tends to go. I right. wasn't think, ever thinking in terms of, like, what's out there and what are people tending to watch? I was just being completely bohemian and I want to do what feels good and feels sure. right. So at that point, I did another deal, and at the end of the season, I found I'm under contract 
with NBC and I'm being given all of this money so that at the end of the season when they roll out the really good stuff, I can go in with everybody else and just audition. And I was like, but what about the – yes, you didn't read the – you really don't get anything from this, but we get your time. I was like, well, I get the money. No. If we – no. And then there's even finer print. If you do something, we take that money. And don't pay you for it's the thing. Advance. It's Think an advance. Think of it as an advance. It's an advance. If everything goes tits up. There will be more. You can keep the money. But you've spent that already, haven't you? Yeah. So <laughs> nothing. So you understand how you get nothing? And, and come yeah. audition with you, everybody. Yes. And also there's the – but really what this is about is you're getting – you don't have to audition, but there's a clause that says you have to audition. Got it. That's really what it was. Got it. So you're not special so at all. So you auditioned for Friends. I auditioned for Friends and before it was called Friends. And before it was called Friends, I also auditioned for a show called Best Friends. Which was different. Very different. It was a guy who was a stay-home author. He was married. His wife would go to work, and he'd stay home with his little girl. And the little girl that they found had never done television before, and she was brilliant. And James Burroughs, who directed, beautiful, you know, beautiful, brilliant uh, who man. directed Cheers, was directing both of them. So they both had – NBC was really high on both of them. I read Friends, and here's what I did. I called up my friend's. Matthew Perry and Hank Azaria. I said, I've got our show. Oh. We're going to do together. a show. Yeah. I took them out to breakfast on Larchmont Avenue and I said, I want to play Ross. You see where this is going. Yeah. I want to play Ross. Hank, you'd be great, Joey. And Matthew Chandler is his name. He's very sarcastic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So, And that I, we literally talked about it. They read the script, but they didn't have a big time deal. So they were... The fates would bring them in or not. Of course, they were going to go in. And I think they've told these stories. So, But Matthew couldn't audition because Matthew was shooting a pilot at the time called uh, LAX 2000. It's about a guy who's working at LAX in the luggage department. And so he, I think, had a robot and luggage. He was doing a show about a robot. And I said, how's the show going? I'm doing a show with a robot and luggage. How do you think it's going? And then he pointed to himself and was like, ouch. I think, yeah, ouch. <laughs> and I think, I think the show was canceled during the read-through. They were just like, get out. They were angry. No, but he, I think they made the pilot. I'm not sure. But okay. that really, that was so funny. And now I have to decide between best friends and what eventually became friends. Well, best friends, I went to college. You go with best friends. There was mega friends. I'd go with mega friends. Sure. But there's only best friends. Bigger is more. But it wasn't that. I remember I was uh, – I was trying to make this decision. I went in and met with them. I do remember I loved the writer-producer, this guy Alan Katz, of this show. Oh, uh, thinking of John Katz, but yes. No, this is a different one. His name yeah. is Alan. Yeah. Uh, but, but his – I love cats. <laughs> you like cats? Heck on you're Broadway. A great, you're a great host. The two shows that are kind of on your plate at the end of this pilot season yeah. – our friends. And they're both and good, but friends. I like the script for Best Friends better. And I like the idea as an actor of doing so, – because I read the part – and by this time, the part of Ross was no longer available. The part of Joey was no longer available. But they did bring me in to audition for Joey, and it was just like, of course not. Right. I think we all turned to each other and went, well, of course not. Right. And then I went in and auditioned for Chandler, and they called me and they said, we originally wanted to do like a bookish kind of nerdy Woody Allen. But now we're thinking, what if he's like – he looks like a guy – 
who'd be Mr. Successful, but inside he's like a Woody Allen, Albert Brooks kind of thing. We think that's – and I said, that's great. And I thought it's still the guy in the background who's making the funny jokes. They're obviously funny, but – at that moment, all you see are two shows that will probably not get picked up. That's Those are right. the odds. That's Chances right. of them, either of them getting picked up are phenomenally low. So you kind of go with what – you try to listen to your instincts, which at 25 is, as a guy, at least for me, was hard. I wasn't thinking in terms of business at all or what would or wouldn't get picked up because well, I didn't know. So I kind of went with yeah. – and I asked James Burroughs and he said, I don't – I wouldn't know what to tell you. He goes, they're both really good. Yeah. So I kind of went with – there was a family feeling at this other show, and the other one felt very – I don't want to say an arrogance because they were very, very nice. But there was something that – I got a strong feeling of like this is for me. And that might have been the way the universe works because – Well, it was for you. Everything yes, happens that was, exactly that's what how I it's thought. meant to That's be. what I thought. But it took me a while to get that down because what this did was introduce the idea to me um, – because you said, oh, you hit the ground running. I did. Yeah. And the most dangerous thing that can happen for anybody who's having, I mean, it was an initial success. I really feel bad for people like Justin Bieber. It's not fair. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to summon strength down the road that nobody can really relate to. And they're always going to get crap from people who are going to judge them. And they'll never know how hard it is to completely change your way of thinking, which is what child stars have to go through in order not to commit suicide. It wasn't like that for me. Right. But there was an adjustment of... How do I – oh, my best friend is playing a role, you know, that right. would have been like – that's life-changing. But the truth is when I auditioned for Chandler, I was already such a big Matthew Perry fan and so much of it fit into my mouth the way Matthew talked. That's the way I went in there. I think – and in a, in a way, in a completely humble uh, way that doesn't have any ego attached to it or any sense of loss anyway. There's no I, – I don't sit there and think – could have been. I just, I almost think, oh, I, I was there to make sure that my friend got this part until he lost the luggage. Yeah. This is the guy who was supposed to play the part. Right. Like you were the perfect placeholder yeah. until and for the some right it was a person. weird thing. That was the story that everybody glommed onto. I don't know why, but there were plenty of people who said no to friends and they didn't tell people. The only thing that you would have now is, you know, suitcases filled with money. At the end, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, at the end of the and day. And at a time like this, <laughs> What could that do? Get me elected president? Come on. That's it. I mean, that's small potatoes. No, I'm saying I understand I never, if, if I, that you know, continued to be friends with the same, mm, right? Like, I, I who ne- knows? But other than that, like, I don't know. Like, I've you never, get to do lots I've never, of parts. And- I've, first of all, I've never – I was I bumped into uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried on the street yesterday, and he's the first person I've spoken to ever – who hated camp as much as I did. He hated it. He couldn't get home fast enough. And yeah. I, but like a yutz, I stayed there for seven years. Seven okay. years I kept going. I hated it. And the reason I hated it was because uh, who needs this competition? Who needs this? Wake up with the trumpets and the, it's like, why? Why yeah. are you doing this? It's summer. Relax. Do yeah. a craft. Do a craft. You know, relax. But it was always competition and color war. And, and it was, I was so anxious all the time. And it was a natural state that, Guys my age really, really liked. I was never into sports. There's just some part of me that never pretend competition and unnecessary competition never appealed to Not me. Not for you. And I've always seen this as kind of an art. So there was never – what I didn't have was I want to have a little bit more than the next guy. I've never had this power thing. I'm fine. And you and I both probably – you walked on the street and every once in a while somebody goes, the thing, 
You're in the thing. Yeah. Dentists never get, you know whose mouth I admire? Yeah. You know, it's, they never get that. It's a nice little thing. It's a nice little and, boost. And then later in life, you appreciate, oh, I see, because I have friends who are very famous. They don't get to turn it off. It never stops. It's a very nice thing. Although now, just to uh, segue in our last few moments to Unreal, yeah. you have found yourself years later on a show that is capturing the zeitgeist of our culture in such a smart, amazing way. I find it phenomenal that Lifetime figured out how to kind of take this obvious thing and make it original, and you're so good on it, and it's critically acclaimed, and people love it. It's a great group of people. It's really interesting because they literally – part of it is it's horrible people making good TV. That was like the line. Every single person in this cast is so kind. Mm. Everybody is so kind and respectful and and trusting – you know, you can go and take chances and trust that the other person is going to support you. You can trust when somebody else goes, you know what I was thinking? Like nobody has some secret awful agenda yeah. where they're just like, you know what I was thinking? Maybe you should try. It's like, I wonder if he's trying to upend my career. Right. You know? It sounds like you're putting on a play. There's something about that, that I had a prejudice against Lifetime where I thought when they originally, first of all, I was like, we wrote something. We, we had you in mind. And I read it and I was like, it's an insane person. I was like, I'll need a team of doctors just to deal with this. But it was actually a great compliment because you need somebody who's basically playing the devil, you know, who to convince you that he's not the devil. And he isn't. But he doesn't it think of himself that way. Someone... It's the greatest fun in the world. And I wouldn't it was it's perfect because a, I'm part of something that is um, it's progressive. It's about women who Oh, great. There's stories about women who are older than 28 and way more than 28, you know? And and it's hopefully it's going to be the beginning of that of kind trend. of story, yeah. that kind of storytelling. I mean, it's not the first time it's happened, but it's the first time where it's become like a bit of a juggernaut and a heap. For that sake, I hope it keeps I hope it keeps climbing. And it is. It's the very first time I've been a part of anything. I've never heard a second season said by anything other than a waiter. You know? <laughs> uh, and third season is I can't even relate to it. I'm just very appreciative. And you also, you never know. You know, they're, they're, we're playing despicable characters and characters who do, you know, you, you can't cross a certain line. There is an ethical standard. Like if you'll notice in the first season, somebody is deemed responsible for making a choice that leads to a character's death and that person couldn't come back. You can't employ that person. It's not like you're not reading every script and going, I hope I don't kill – it was like I remember doing a show called Damages, a couple of episodes with Ted Danson. Mm -hmm. And they didn't tell anybody anything, even Ted Danson. And I remember meeting Ted Danson who's a hero and him going, hey, how are you? And he's the nicest guy in the world. But he didn't know whether or not I was there to kill him or not. (laughs) And it's that kind of show. And it turns out. It's a very dangerous show. Like it's – it, it wasn't what I w- thought it was going to be when I read it because when I was first told about it, it's lifetime, it's behind the scenes at a reality show. I thought it's over. It's yeah. all over. I'll take a paycheck for a pilot and, and I'll Yeah, I'm going to be Jacqueline on. Smith's uh, shrink or something like that. I'll right. be, you know, and uh, in a movie called I Can't Stop Crying. I love that movie. Why <laughs> do you think it has captured the attention of viewers and critics alike in the way that it has. There's been a feeling of it's not women's lib. That was a nascent time right. where, in, where an idea was being introduced. And right. now it's like it's about time. I'm part of something that is progressive 
and feels important, it feels significant, if for no other reason it's the first of something that I hope will become and, – and it's and it's perfect that it's lifetime because they have emerged from being a brand that – you know, you, you wouldn't say it was part of the problem, but they catered to, you know, these soft stories uh, that were – that weren't necessarily pro-feminist. They were pro-romance. Right. And this takes the idea of romance – puts a bright light on it says it's actually not real and the people who believe in it are miserable and the people who sell it wish they had it. If you watch the show, it's very much lifestyle looking at itself and going, hmm. The timing could not be more incredible. I just want to tell you that when I (laughs) earlier in the program said you were one of the funniest people ever, what I really want to tell you is that I don't get to see you enough. I know. Well, we'll change that. we will. I want to be your daily boo. (laughs) But what I want to say to you is that so often, and this is a really legitimate moment of gratitude, I have had so many different things going on in my life and your posts. I'm not a big internet fan and I have a lot of things about it that I don't like. You have made me laugh and smile and feel so much better so many times when I've needed it and you don't even know it. You're just posting your brilliant social commentaries and observations about life with your unique sense of humor and your incredible intelligence. And when I tell you, it has meant so much to me it's really true. It's one of the things I wanted to tell you today. Oh. I just think you're remarkable. And uh, I hope that I get to see more of you. We will. Um, but that, that, That's such a nice thing to hear. Really oh, what true. a terrific you thing to You need to know that I'm one Thank of you. thousands and thousands, <laughs> maybe millions, who feel that way. But your voice is so original. Literally, your voice is so original. <laughs> you joked about people who've been on the show, but you're someone I've wanted and hope that you listen to it because I want to make you laugh and also just let you know that you mean the world to me. Oh, thank you. That means so much to me. That really means the world to me. Well, thank you for being on Little Known Facts today. Oh, and I, I'm back. my pleasure. I will. I'll be your Tony Randall. I'm right down the street. I'll oh, run right up here. You could also have children in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if you really wanted to be Tony I Randall. I suppose so. So don't worry about well, like rushing Richard that. Richard Lewis said, best case scenario, I'm going to a Little League game in an oxygen tent. <laughs> Fantastic. Here's to you and Richard Lewis. And I love you, Craig Beard. I love you too. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that count. You know. Hey, I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Little Known Facts is recorded at the Hangar Studios in New York City. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.